Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 274, and we're going to take a look at what is called the Sergeant at Arms of the United States House of Representatives. I'm going to be reading from two different articles here, and here's the thing. This is the one for the House of Representatives. Come to find out, there is also a Sergeant at Arms, also for the Senate. So I did not realize that. So there's two different ones. So it's very interesting there. So there is a very rich history to this. So let's take a look at this first article here. And again, we are talking about the Sergeant at Arms of the United States House of Representatives. And you might be thinking, if you're new to this podcast, what is the point of talking about this? Well, first of all, it's a job. It is a federal job, so more than likely they have excellent benefits. Uh, they might be unionized. I don't know about this. I haven't seen yay or nay if that is true. But also, there's a very rich history to this, very much so. And so, before we dive in, I want to mention this. So, for those that don't understand the history of the United States, for whatever reason, whether you have been taught here in the United States because of our stupid public education system, which is trying to um, not always present the facts about the history of the United States, or let's say maybe you, you're not from the United States and you don't live here, and you may not know the history of the United States. That's okay. So we can definitely circle back to a whole lot of things with that. But just to kind of highlight highlight the importance of this position, here's the thing: the United States was founded July fourth, seventeen seventy six, and that is the independence of the United States or the thirteen colonies, their independence from Great Britain, which was a very tyrannical monarchy. And right now. Um, Great Britain, it it no longer has a tyrannical monarchy. It's more like a figurehead. But now they sometimes have a very um, politically charged um, House of Commons or or Parliament, um, whatever word you want to use. And sometimes it's very liberal, and it's very difficult on their citizens over there to earn a living or to have a safe place, just in general, because Britain. Has tried to take away all the guns from their citizens, which is ironically exactly what uh, the the monarchy tried to do to the American colonists over here in America. When Britain, the the monarchy was trying to tax Americans like crazy and saying, "Hey, you have to give us your money," and America or the original thirteen uh, colonies and the colonists were like, "No, we're we're not going to pay all these taxes to you." When we don't have equal rights to people that pay taxes that live in Great Britain, so that's kind of the issue with that. Secondly, in regards to the Sergeant at Arms, what you have to remember is that at one point we were a brand new country, and security was very important. Because what you have to remember is that just because we won the Revolutionary War against the, uh, against Great Britain and against that monarchy. That doesn't mean that there were not people here in the United States that wanted to take it back and give it to the king or queen or whatever. So that's why you have this sergeant at arms that is protecting elected representatives and just representatives and staff in general, protecting people at our capital or wherever they were meeting at the time because they didn't always meet in Washington D.C. So we can take a look at that history later, but Washington D.C. Um, was not always. For sure, our first capital,、um, at least in terms of where they would meet to discuss things and things of that nature, because、um, the original thirteen colonies they are in the far northern part of the United States. So 
Sometimes the locations change and things of that nature, but we will talk about that more specifically later in time. And I don't know when exactly Washington D.C. became our, our capital, capital where where they actually discuss matters. Because there have been times where the I think it's called the Continental Congress. They didn't always meet in Washington D.C. to to discuss things. Um, they didn't always have a meeting place. And one of the reasons for that is because. You know, America. We were a brand new country in 1776, and again, there still could be some people here, at least during that time, that they they wanted to be back with Britain. They wanted to be back with the monarchy, and so they basically one of the reasons why they have a sergeant at arms is to protect the people that are representing the citizens of the United States, especially as a new country, and to make sure that no one gets assassinated and that no one. gets hurt or harmed and that the work that they do is guarded and protected. So again, we will circle back to when Washington DC actually became like our permanent capital and we we will also take a look at you know, when did they actually have a permanent house for the House of Representatives, the Senate and the Congress? Cuz what you have to remember is that when we were a brand new country in 1776, We didn't have all these buildings. We didn't have all this infrastructure. We just didn't have that. So, you know, I'm not saying we take that for granted these days. It's just that, you know, whenever you start something new, it takes time and it takes money to get things, you know, basically off the ground. You know, you know what I mean? Like whenever you're let's say you're on a jet and you're taking off, it takes a lot of force and a lot of power and a lot of fuel to get that plane off the ground. Well, it's the exact same thing when you are founding a new country. You you've got to be patient and you've got to be able to handle the turbulence. And so that's basically what this is about here. So that's one reason why I mentioned this. And I think this topic is really good because at one point in time we did not have a country, so therefore we did not have a federal government. We did not have states rights, we did not have colonists rights. We did not have a House of Representatives, we did not have a Congress, and we did not have a Senate. So all these things at one point in time were brand new. So just FYI, please be aware of that. So let's go ahead and take a look at this first article in regards to the Sergeant at Arms of the United States House of Representatives. So this position is nominated by the Speaker of the House, and they are elected by the House. So that it has to pass through a couple, um, I would say, processes in order for them to be that. The term length is two years. So it's not super long, but there are some people that they get reelected or reappointed and reappointed, and it's not always about party line. It's not always about oh, are they Democrat or Republican? That's not the purpose of this job. This job is not about what political party they favor or don't favor. It's not about how they vote. It's about doing their job because this is a police force role. It's a very important role because it is safety and procedures to protect basically the congressional staff. and also the house representatives and elected officials that's their main job besides protecting dignitaries and things of that nature there's so many things that go into this job and there also is pomp and circumstance like the house of representatives uh, sergeant at arms sometimes they announce the president of the united states like whenever i think it's the state of the union and um, other circumstances like that yes there is pomp and circumstance but it's out of respect and honor to the office so there's a reason why we have these things in place And the reason why we have them in place is because at one point in time we didn't have any of this. We were a brand new country. And so we had to establish basically decorum. 
And also, they wanted to establish that we're not going to have a monarchy. Because what you have to remember is that when they were under the very evil and um, tyrannical rule of Great Britain, when they were a really cutthroat monarchy, um, there's no way that you could have had a sergeant at arms whatsoever. The colonists had no legal representation in Great Britain. That's why there's that phrase, no taxation without representation. So in other words, they were saying if you're going to tax us, we have to have representation over in Great Britain. You cannot just tax us as your whipping boy, so to speak, and then we have no say about what happens over here. It's just insane what the monarchy thought that they could get away with. It's it's just kind of shocking, but again, sometimes monarchies are not always the brightest. Sometimes they're very pompous, very stupid, very arrogant. Not always, but in this particular case they were. And I don't think they ever thought that the colonists would fight against them, especially against the the army of of Great Britain. I mean, that took a lot of courage to do that, for sure. But anyway, um it says here the sergeant at arms of the United States House of Representatives is an officer of the house with law enforcement protocol and administrative responsibilities. The sergeant at arms is elected at the beginning of each Congress by the membership of the house. So again, you can be nominated again again. It's not really about party line. In fact, it's not about party line at all. It's about can you do the job? Can you do it well? And is this your line of work? Is this something that you that you have experience, that you enjoy and that you're really good at what you do because you have to have a steady head on your shoulders. My personal opinion is you have to have a steady head on your shoulders in order to participate in any way shape or form in any shape or form in terms of law enforcement because you cannot be a dumb blonde and you can't be super aggressive and you cannot be prone to anger <laughs> which is kind of funny cuz sometimes cops are just that but anyway um so it says in one of its first resolutions the first United States Congress back in April of 14th 1789 established the role of sergeant at arms of the United States House of Representatives so again This is a serious role. It's not just about pomp and circumstance, but it's mostly about security and what all they do. So they they help out on the capital grounds as well. So that's important. Like I said, they they help protect dignitaries and visitors and things of that nature, very important there. Um it says here through custom and precedent, the sergeant at arms performs a number of protocols and ceremonial duties. Among these duties are to lead formal processions at ceremonies such as presidential inaugurations, joint sessions of Congress such as the State of the Union address uh, prior to 2007, uh, formal addresses to the Congress, greeting and es- escorting visiting uh foreign dignitaries and then um conveying articles of impeachment from the House to the Senate. and to supervise congressional funeral arrangements. I especially did not know that last one. So these people would have been very much involved for example in the funeral of uh, President Ronald Reagan. So there there is a rhyme and reason to what they do. Again, it's not just about for show or pomp and circumstance. It's out of respect, duty and honor. And so I take that very seriously for sure. Now here's the thing. You might think, well, you know, is it really that important and has it always been important? Has it always been important? Excuse me. Yes it has. I'm going to read off to you the list of sergeant at arms for the House of Representatives and this goes back to 1789. So this is not long after we became a country. So this is something that was very much established for really good reasons. So I'm just going to read down the list here and some of these people might sound familiar. 
So the first sergeant at arms was Joseph Wheaton. He was from Rhode Island. He served from May 12, 1789 to October 27, 1807. So he served in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th and 9th Congress. Again, you can be reelected and it doesn't matter what party you're in. It's not about party line at all. The second person to have this role was Thomas Dunn. He was from Maryland. He served from October 27, 1807 to December 5, 1824. And he served in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th Congress. So quite a long run there. Then you have John Dunn. I hope that's not a relative because that would be nepotism. But he was from uh, D.C., the District of Columbia. And he served from December 6th, 1824 to December 3rd, 1833. So he served in the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, and 22nd Congress. Then you have Thomas Beverly Randolph. That's really cool. He has a, a woman's middle name. That's cool. He was from Virginia. And let's see here. He served from December 3rd, 1833 to December 15th, let's see, 1835. And he served in the 23rd and 24th Congress. Then you have Roderick Dorsey. He was from Maryland. He served from December 15th, 1835 to June 8th, 1841. So he served in the 24th, 25th, 26th and 27th Congress. Then you have Elizor Townsend, he was from Connecticut. He served in the or sorry, he served from June 8th, 1841 to December 7th, 1843, so he served in the 27th and 28th Congress. Then you have Newton Lane, he was from Kentucky. Um his term of service was December 7th, 1843 to December 8th, 1847. So he served in the 28th, 29th and 30th Congress. Then you have Nathan Sargent. He was from Vermont. He served from December 8th, 1847 to January 15th, 1850. So he served in the 30th and 31st Congress. Then you have Adam Glossbrenner. He was from Pennsylvania and he served from January 15th, 1850 to February 3rd, 1860. So he served in the 31st, 32nd, 33rd, 34th, 35th and 36th Congress. Then you have Henry William Hoffman. He was from Maryland. He served from February 3, 1860 to July 5, 1861. So he served in the 36th and 37th Congress. Then you have Edward Ball. He was from Ohio. He served from July 5, 1861 to December 8, 1863. So he served in the 37th and 38th Congress. Then you have Nehemiah Ordway. He was from New Hampshire. He served from December 8th, 1863 to December 6th, 1875. So he served in the 38th, 39th, 40th, 41st, 42nd and 43rd Congress. Then you have John Thompson. He was from Ohio. He served from December 6th, 1875 to December 5th, 1881. So he served in the 44th, 45th and 46th Congress. Then you have George Hooker and he was from Vermont. He served from December 5th, 1881 to December 4th, 1883, and he served in the 47th Congress. Then you have John Leadham. He is from Ohio. He served from December 4th, 1883 to December 2nd, 1889. So he served in the 48th, 49th, and 50th Congress. Then you have Adoniram Holmes. He was from Iowa, and he served from December 2nd, 1889 to December 8th, 1891. So he served in the 51st Congress. Then you have Samuel Yoder. He was from Ohio. He served from December 8th, 1891 to August 7th, 1893. So he served in the 52nd Congress. 
Then you have Herman Snow, and he was from the state of Illinois. He served from August 7th, 1893 to December 2nd, 1895. So he served in the 53rd Congress. Then you have Benjamin Russell. He was from Missouri. He served from December 2nd, 1895 to December 4th, 1899. So he served in the 54th and the 55th Congress. Then you have Henry Casson and he was from Wisconsin. He served from December 4th, 1899 to April 4th, 1911. So he served in the 56th, 57th, 58th, 59th, 60th and 61st Congress. Then you have Uriah Stokes Jackson. He was from the state of Indiana. He served from April 4th, 1911 to June 22nd, 1912. He served in the 62nd Congress. Then you have Charles Riddle. He was also from Indiana and he served from July 18th, 1912 to April 7th, 1913. He also served in the 62nd Congress. Then you have Robert Gordon. He was from Ohio. He served from April 7th, uh, 1913 to May 19th, 1919. So he served in the 63rd, 64th and 65th Congress. Then you have Joseph Rogers and he was from Pennsylvania. He served from May 19th, 1919 to December 7th, 1931. So he served in the 66th, 67th, 68th, 69th, 70th and 71st Congress. Then you have Kenneth Romney, hopefully not related to Mitt Romney because he was a lousy candidate. Let's see here. And this gentleman, Kenneth Romney was from the state of Montana. He served from December 7th, 1931 to January 3rd, uh, 1947. So he served in the 72nd, 73rd, 74th, 75th, 76th, 77th, 78th and 79th Congress. Then you have, let's see, William Russell. Let's see here. Yeah, oh, there was a Benjamin Russell. That's why that sounds familiar. So William Russell, uh he's from Pennsylvania. He served from January 3rd, 1947 to January 3rd, 1949. So he served in the 80th Congress. Then you have Joseph Callahan. He was from Kentucky. He served from January 3rd, 1949 to January 3rd, 1953. So he was in the 81st and 82nd Congress. Then you have William Russell again. So he again was from Pennsylvania. This is his second time doing this. So he served from January 3rd, 1953 to July 7th, 1953, and that was part of the 83rd Congress. Then you have Lyle Snyder. He was from the state of Illinois. He served from July 8th, 1953, 1953, excuse me, to September 15th, 1953, again the part of the 83rd Congress. Then you have William uh Bonsell, he was from Pennsylvania. He served in this role uh from September 15th, 1953 to January 5th, 1955, and that was part of the 83rd Congress. Then you have Zeke Johnson Jr. He's from the state of Tennessee and he served from January 5th, 1955 to September 30th, 1972. So he served in the 84th, 85th, 86th, 87th, 88th, 89th, 90th, 91st and 92nd Congress. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you have Kenneth Harding and he was from Virginia. He served from October 1st, 1972 to February 29th, 1980. So he served in the 92nd, 93rd, 94th, 95th and 96th Congress. Then you have Benjamin Guthrie. He was from Virginia. He served from March 1st, 1980 to January 3rd, 1983. So he served in the 96th and the 97th Congress. Then you have Jack Russ. Uh he is from Maryland. He served from January 3rd, 1983 to March 12th, 1982. 
So he was in the 98th, 99th, 100th, 101st, and 102nd Congress. Then you have Warner Brandt. Uh, he was from Virginia. He served in this role um, March 12, 1992 to January 4, 1995. So he was in the 102nd and 103rd Congress. Then you have Wilson Livingood, and he was from Virginia. He served in this role, uh, let's see, January 4, 1995 to January 17, 2012. So he served in the 104th, 105th, 106th, 107th, 108th, 109th, 110th, 111th, and 112th Congress. Then you have Paul Irving. He was from Florida. He served from January 17th, 2012 to January 7th, 2021. Excuse me. So he served in the 112th, 113th, 114th, 115th, 116th, and 117th Congress. Then you have Timothy Blodgett. He's from New York, and he served in this role not very long, um, from January 11th, 2021 to March 26th, 2021, and that was part of the 117th Congress. Then you have William Walker. He's from the state of Illinois, and he served from March 26th, 2021, and I'm guessing to current, because so, we're still in the year 2023. So that is part of the 117th Congress. So the reason why I mention all these people is because – This is a very important role. So it's not something to sneeze at. It's actually very important to the history to the history, excuse me, of the United States. And it's something I would say it's definitely a role that's not going to go anywhere because it is very much important. We very much need to protect our capital. And that's just common sense. I mean, it's like protecting your home. You know what I mean? It's like having a lock on the front door, a lock on the back door. You know, you want to make sure that you are keeping the people inside safe. Also, I wanted to read from the House.gov website you know, what they say. So it says, Sergeant at Arms, as an elected officer of the House of Representatives, the Sergeant at Arms is the chief law enforcement and protocol officer of the House of Representatives and is responsible for maintaining order in the House, on the House side of the United States Capitol complex. The Sergeant at Arms reviews and implements all issues relating to the safety and security of members of Congress and the Capitol complex. The Sergeant at Arms also coordinates extensively with the United States Capitol Police and various intelligence agencies to assess threats against members of Congress and the Capitol complex. Duties include overseeing the House floor and the galleries, the House appointments desk, the House, uh, see, the House garages and parking lots, as well as administering all staff identification badges. The following divisions compromise, not compromise, comprise, <laughs> sorry, The following divisions comprise the office of the sergeant at arms. Number one, immediate office and member support. Number two, protocol and chamber operations. Number three, house garages and parking security. Number four, int- uh, information services. Number five, identification services. Number six, police services and law enforcement. Number seven, house security. Number eight, emergency management. So, This is very much an important role. If you think about all the things I just listed here, that is included in their job. That is a lot to handle. Like just the information services, that's almost like IT or the um, identification services or police services, house security. I mean, that is a lot to take into consideration and to be in charge of. So just recognize that this role It, it, it is very much important because it's not your typical police role. It's like, it's like policing, but so much more. It's like policing and IT all in one, and so that can be a lot of stress. 
So God bless the people that have served in this role and that continue to serve and that will serve in the future because it's very important to the safety and the security of the United States. Um, but I will go ahead and end it there for this lovely podcast. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye. Don't let this world go down without us